Hi, good morning, everybody. So I was uh, sick last week, but Keith told me that Andy was like super excited to be able to see you guys, you know, because there's like lots of light. Me, not so much. <laughs> Actually, I, um, Keith reminded me there's these curtains back here. I thought about hiding behind there and just like talking at you, but they clipped them. So now I can't get back there. Um, so I think the best we can hope for is that you don't give eye contact to me, like as I speak to you, that would be the best. So, but we got to get started. So let's, uh, let's talk today. This time of year, you know, the season that we think of as the holiday season is a really interesting time in our culture. It's a mash of competing themes. On one end, there's Thanksgiving, which as a idea is lovely. You know, a day set out to give thanks for the blessings of life. And Christmas, it's a wonderful time of the year. Now, if you're a Christian, it's time set aside to be reminded of the coming of Jesus, our Savior. But even if you're not a Christian, there are other themes that you get to celebrate. Love and good wishes and giving. So that's on one end. On the other end, Thanksgiving Day is immediately followed by, and I mean right after you're done eating your turkey, a bombardment of commercials reminding you the stores are open so that you can get all the things you and your loved ones don't have, right? And maybe you've seen this commercial. Right? I just love the way this commercial starts. You know, there's lots of truth in it, right? It reminds us of one of the best parts of the holidays, friends and family, relationships. Let my love open the door to your heart. Who doesn't love that? I mean, that's a great song. I love it. Right? Then this. kind of insidious. Yeah? Yes, you have all these wonderful things like family and friends, but you don't have it all. You don't have all these other things you can get at Walmart with free two-day shipping, right? They kind of like to sneak in the lie as they're telling you all the truth at the same time. Seriously, though, how is a person to cultivate contentment and gratitude in life when we live in a culture that is completely saturated by the worship to the God of consumerism. And I have to be honest and tell you that when Andy gave me the idea of coming up here and talking about gratitude and contentment today, I just wasn't feeling it. I was like, contentment, gratitude, schmattitude, I don't really have anything to say about that. I think I even told Sarah, I'm like, the Bible, it just says be grateful. What else are you going to say? Okay. So I'm sure that that has something to do with my own condition of my own heart and the fact that I haven't totally internalized the answers to how to cultivate contentment in this consumeristic world. But there is another reason too. And the other reason is that I know that some of you are dealing with some really hard things. Some of you are experiencing scarcity more than you're experiencing abundance. And I got to say, I don't know what it's like to experience scarcity. Not really. 
I don't know what it's like to go hungry or be homeless or lack friendships or love. Maybe the only thing I could say I ever lacked was a father. But even with that, I have God, and there are so many other people in my life who have filled that role that I've never really lacked it that much. So I feel like what I really do lack is street cred when it comes to talking about contentment and gratitude, right? Especially when you're suffering or are lacking. But since Andy decided he was going to go camping, which, by the way, is the second worst idea ever. I have a list. That's second. Um, I ended up here, and I got to say something. So luckily for us, the Apostle Paul has no problem with street cred on this issue. And so we can listen to him, and we can be confident that he knows what he's talking about. So let me uh, tell you a little bit about what's going on in Paul's life. Um, At the time that he writes the letter to the Philippians, he is in prison in Rome on trumped-up charges. And the real reason he was in prison was because he had been telling people that Jesus is Lord, and that pissed off some powerful people. He's been in prison for at least two years, and probably more. And he writes this letter from prison to express to the Philippians his gratitude for their friendship and for the gift that they had sent him. You see, in those days, the Roman Empire did not believe it was their responsibility to provide the basic needs for their prisoners. So if you were in prison and you wanted clothing or food, you relied on the generosity of your friends. So I am sure there were many days that Paul probably did not eat because he was in prison, which makes what he says in Philippians 4 even more amazing. And we're going to be in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open it up. I'm going to start at verse 10 right now. Writing to the Philippians, he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Remember that when he is writing this, Paul is literally in prison. And prison hasn't been the only difficult thing that he has experienced. At other points in his life, Paul has been stoned, beaten with a rod three times, whipped with 39 lashes five times, okay? He had been bitten by a poisonous snake. He had been uh, shipwrecked three times. He'd experienced serious illness and maybe even blindness. And once, he spent a day and a half in open sea. When I read that, I asked Keith, I'm like, do you think he meant like he was in the water for like a day and a half? And he's like, well, doesn't sound like he was on a ship. And I was like, what? I'm like, that is like the biggest, like that's one of my worst nightmares, people, okay? So when Paul talks about learning the secret to being content in whatever circumstance, I think we can safely say he has plenty of street cred and knows what he's talking about. Okay, so what is in the secret sauce of contentment? When you make sauce, you have to have a base for it, like red sauce, if it's, you know, tomato, it's red sauce, and um, it's the main kind of thing that goes in the sauce. 
So the base of the contentment sauce is what Paul says in verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Okay? So the base of the sauce is relationship with Jesus. Now, this is a famous verse, which is often grossly taken out of context, okay? So no, this isn't talking about being able to run a marathon or winning the football game or getting an A on a test you didn't study for or opening the pickle jar, right? This is not (laughs) pointing to the fact, this is actually pointing to the fact that our ability to experience contentment in life is directly tied to our dependency on Jesus and his ability to give us the strength to put into practice the rest of the ingredients in the secret sauce. So what are the rest of the ingredients? Well, Paul's ingredients are nothing you've never heard of before. They are basic things, okay? So I have a question for you, and it's now church participation time, which is my favorite time. So as always, do not leave me hanging, okay? All right, here's your question. As humans... What are some basic things that we do because it's just what comes with being human? And here's a clue. We see these especially in babies, okay? So what do babies do? Poop. What else? Sleep. Cry. Eat. All right. Sleep, poop, cry, eat. All right? And actually... We do all those things throughout all our lives, right? And in fact, if we stop doing those things, you know, it's a sign that something is not right with us, okay? So if you stop sleeping or eating or pooping, like, something's wrong, okay? Well, Paul's secret sauce of contentment is just a reminder of the basic things that we are supposed to do because we are in Christ. Similar to eating, sleeping, and pooping, these things are crucial to our spiritual health and to being content, And to get the rest of the ingredients, we need to go back a few verses in chapter 4 to verse 4. Okay, here it says, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Rejoice. Rejoicing is the first step to cultivating contentment in our lives. But it isn't just rejoice. It's rejoice in the Lord. Paul is reminding us that no matter what is going on in our lives, there are some things that are always true when we have entered into a relationship with Jesus as our Lord. We can rejoice in all the ways that God has, God has blessed us because of Jesus Here's a sampling of the ways that God has blessed us and are true no matter what we are experiencing. God loved you and did not spare his son so you could be in relationship with him. Romans 8, 5, Romans 5, 8 and 11 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. God does not condemn you and freeze you from the power sin had in your life. 
Romans 8, 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. God has adopted you as his child, and it gave him great pleasure to do so. Ephesians 1, 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God has given you his very presence to be in you through his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. God works out everything in your life for your good. Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You know, I could keep going, but I think you get the point. So when Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord, I think he is telling us that we can rejoice in all the ways that the Lord has loved us through these blessings, this list of things that we've talked about. But there is another way that he means it too. He means that because we are in the Lord, we live life in the sphere of the reality that Jesus is who he says he is and has done the things that the Bible says he's done. And that gives us a different perspective on life, or at least it should. It's the perspective that says, what is in it in front of me, what's in front of me, what I see, what I'm experiencing is not the only thing that is true about my life or about the world, right? Because there is more. There is what God is doing in me through this experience. There is what God is doing in the world as he's reconciling it to himself. There is the eternal life with God in his kingdom. It's actually why Paul says the next thing he says after he gives the imperative to rejoice. And this is what he says. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So what does gentleness have to do with joy? And why does he tell us that the Lord is near? Well, being a Christian in Philippi was not easy. There was tremendous amount of pressure and persecution that encouraged these Christians to walk away from their faith or to retaliate against those who were treating them poorly. But Paul is saying that rejoicing in the Lord, having the perspective that we've talked about, leads us to be able to show gentleness, or another way, to be gracious to all even to those who are causing us problems. What that means is that we are not forever going around demanding our rights. It's the idea that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for one mile, carry it two miles. This is utterly countercultural. But rejoicing in the Lord allows us to have a perspective that allows us to treat people with this kind of gentleness. Why? Because the Lord is near. That's an interesting phrase, actually, because I think it can sound threatening to sometimes to us that the Lord is near, like God is the principal in the room making sure you behave. 
but this is not like the creepy Santa Claus is coming to town idea, okay? It's not, you better watch out, you better not cry, better not pout, he's making a list and checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty and nice, because he's coming to town. That is so anti-gospel. And God, God is nothing like Santa. He's not. What Paul is saying here is that the Lord is near because he is literally in you through his Holy Spirit. That's how close he is. He is in us to help us rejoice and to empower us to be the gracious people even when we are suffering at the hands of people. And the Lord is near in the sense that he is returning, he is coming, but not to make sure you haven't been naughty, but to make things right for us, which gives us the confidence to rejoice in whatever circumstance, and that cultivates contentment in our lives. So let us rejoice. But in case we are still struggling to find contentment, and in fact, are full of anxiety about our financial situation, or the state of our marriage, or about whether or not we will ever have a job that we actually enjoy and find meaning in, or are worried that we will not be able to give our kids the sort of life we want for them, or that the medicine isn't treating or getting rid of the disease or the pain, then Paul reminds us that there are more ingredients to the secret sauce of contentment, and we need to add some. We need to add prayer, and we need to add thanksgiving. He says... Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So prayer. I always feel really uncomfortable talking to people about prayer. I'm confessing to you, okay? And I know it's totally weird for someone whose vocation is to help people, you know, grow spiritually and since, you know... Prayer is one of those sort of basic things that you really need to do to grow spiritually. It's kind of weird. But the thing is that I'm also sort of a practical person, and I like to know how things work and how they connect to everything else. And with prayer, I just can't put it all together in a nice box like I like it, and so that makes me uncomfortable. So I, I kind of avoid talking about what prayer is and why pray and how prayer works and all that stuff because I, I have no idea sometimes. But that being said... I think I can say with confidence that prayer is really more for us than it is for God, okay? Prayer is a gift that God has given to us. And at the very least, it is a way for us to make sure that God knows what we need because we've told him. Now, I'm not saying that I think God doesn't know until we've told him, but sometimes it just makes us feel better that we have a way of telling him just in case, right? Okay, now that should not be where our understanding of prayer should end, especially because Paul seems to say that there is something way, way more profound happening here when we pray, which is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. When Paul talks about God's peace guarding our hearts and minds, he isn't talking about something that God has in his possession that he's sort of like loaning us to protect us. No, Paul is alluding to God's very presence, which is in us because we are Christians. 
because God is peace. The scripture says that God is our peace. And because God is in us as his Holy Spirit, we can know that the same peace that characterizes who God is, his presence, is also at work in us. And prayer is a way for us to be reminded of that truth and to activate that truth in our lives. This peace protects our inner life so that we don't descend into despair and discontent with life. It's as if God's peaceful presence is a troop of soldiers, you know, around our hearts and minds, protecting us from anxiety, from despair, and discontent. And this peace transcends all understanding, not so much because it's sort of beyond our ability to comprehend, but because, as Gerald Hawthorne describes it, God's peace is able to produce exceedingly better results than human planning and is far superior to any of our schemes for security and is more effective for removing anxiety than any intellectual effort or power of reasoning. So pray. And pray in every situation because there is no aspect of our lives that God does not care about. But don't just pray. Also give thanks to God. So why give thanks? Well, there's sort of the polite reason, right? Because you don't want to be rude. There's also the theological reason for it, which is that it is an acknowledgement that we are utterly dependent on God for our life. It is a posture that we take that helps us keep our lives in perspective. But there's also sort of the more practical reason for giving thanks, which is that gratitude cultivates contentment in our lives because there are real benefits to it. So it seems to me like lots of people recently have been talking about gratitude. Gratitude is kind of like a theme, at least it is on Facebook. So uh, you may have heard some of these reasons already that it's beneficial to you, but just in case you haven't, and since I need to fill some time, um, I'm going to list them for you, okay? And this comes out of a Forbes article. First, gratitude opens the door for more relationships. When you thank people, it makes them more likely to seek an ongoing relationship with you. Probably it's because they think you're nice, you know? So it's good. Gratitude improves physical health. Grateful people experience less pain, report feeling better, and they also sleep better. Three, great, gratitude improves psychological health. It reduces toxic emotions like envy and resentment, frustration and regret. And grateful people are more likely to be gracious and are better able to celebrate other people's accomplishments. Four, gratitude increases mental strength. Recognizing all you have to be thankful for, even during the worst times of your life, actually fosters resilience. And last, gratitude increases generosity and vice versa. Okay, so our secret sauce, all right? It's built on the base of being in relationship with Jesus. You add some rejoicing, you pray, and you give thanks. And the last ingredient, which sounds to me like a spice mix, okay? It's what uh, Paul says. It's think about and practice good. Or as Paul puts it in verse 8 and 9, think about whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. See? Spice mix, Right? So there are two things that I really actually love about these verses. First is that Paul knew about the power of um, dwelling on good things before anyone else decided to study it, okay? 
And the second thing is that it acknowledges that there is actually a lot of good in creation and in culture. Because these words aren't just about thinking on quote-unquote spiritual things, right? It's also about dwelling on things that are beautiful, like art and music and really anything that is excellent and praiseworthy, no matter where it comes from. Look, I know for most of us it's easier to notice what's wrong around us. I mean, I, I know that's my tendency. That's my personality. I find all the things that are wrong. And that's why Paul's reminder is so important. So look around you. Maybe not so much in this gym. But what would you say fits these labels in your life, right? What is good? What is admirable? What is lovely? What is true? And spend some time dwelling on them, enjoying them, sharing them with others. But as always, it isn't good enough to just think about what is good. We need to put it into practice. And our example for putting these things into practice is Paul, which brings us back full circle to where we started out today, talking about Paul's contentment with life. So if you want to be like Paul, able to say, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, put into practice rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, and thinking and doing good. And the God of peace will be with you. And that's kind of why the cards are on your seat, or maybe on the seat next to you, or maybe on the seat in front of you or behind you, okay? And it's the secret sauce of contentment. Because today is your opportunity, woohoo, to begin or to continue putting these things into practice so that you can be saturated in the secret sauce of contentment. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment. Isaac's going to come up and play for us for a moment, all right? And I, as he plays, I want you to think about which of these ingredients you think you need to add in your life right now. Maybe there's something that's been missing, you know, maybe it's that you need to rejoice more, or maybe that you need to practice gratitude, or maybe you just really need to dwell on the things in your life that are really awesome. It could be any of those things. Maybe you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. I don't know. But what I want you to do is to take the back of this car, and I want you to write the ingredient that you think you need to practice, okay? And I want you to think about something that you can do to begin to practice putting it into practice, right? So this is just an opportunity for us to be intentional in the season where we often get all these mixed messages. And so maybe try doing this from now until the end of the year. Take it, put it on your mirror, take it and put it in your purse or wherever it is that you will see it and remind yourself about what it looks like to be intentional. Now, I'm gonna, Isaac's gonna pray. You guys take a moment to think and I'll come back and close this off in prayer.
Father, I just pray that as we enter into the season of rejoicing because of the coming of the Lord, that you would just remind us to be intentional about following you, about giving thanks, about rejoicing, about thinking and doing what is good. Give us the grace to do that every day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so you guys are dismissed, but here's the thing. Don't go away too fast because we have to clean this up and move it to the other building. So if you could just be so kind as to give some of your time to do that and your hands and strength, that would be awesome. All right, we will be back in the next place, next building or the other building next week. See you guys later.